3: Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you, broadcasting on commercial stations from coast to coast on Sirius XM all across the North American continent, on Pacifica stations across America, Europe, and Africa, on American Forces Radio, and every U.S. military base in the world, on your electronic devices via TuneIn, Progressive Voices, Tom Hartman app, Uh, Simulcast has television on Free Speech TV via the DirecTV Satellite Network and DISH Satellite Network and cable systems nationwide, and on the Internet, of course, freespeech.org. Welcome to our program. Our first hour today is Congressman Ro Khanna. Uh, Ro Khanna, uh, regular on our program, represents the 17th District of California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Kana khann is his website. And you can tweet him at Rep Rokana, R E P, as in representative. Ro-R O Kana K-H-A-N-N-A. Congressman, welcome back to the program.
4: It's good to be back on.
3: And thanks so much for being with us for the hour and taking calls from our listeners. Our number, by the way, if you have a question for the Congressman, is 202-808-9925. Uh, the Supreme Court just handed down a decision that's a a uh, uh, slap in the face to uh, non unionized employees across the United States. Your thoughts on that?
4: Well, it's a terrible decision. I mean, they're basically undermining labor laws that go back to the New Deal. Uh, and the court's ruling will make it uh, almost impossible for many employees to file a class action lawsuit against employers who violated labor laws. Now, here's why this matters if some person, an individual, not paid minimum wage, and they have to bring a individual action against an employer the reality is they're going to be reluctant to do so because they're not going to want uh, to have to lose their job or be blackballed in the industry they're probably not going to get a lawyer to take their case because there's it's not uh, in a in lawyer's incentive to take one of those cases and that's why we have class action it's the only check uh, to have equal bargaining power for employees this is not a new invention. this is what the New Deal was about, uh, what basic fairness was about, and this court says no, uh, if you have an arbitration agreement that 's going to trump uh, the uh, uh, your uh, ability to bring a class action and well, one final point I mean, Justice Ginsburg had a terrific dissent in the case and basically urged Congress to take action to make it clear that uh, employees' class action rights should trump the arbitration. Uh, agreement of uh, the arbitration statute of 1925, and so it's really for Congress now to act to fix the mistake.
3: Yeah, it, it certainly seems that way, and and uh, <laughs> it's amazing. Um, other other things going on in Congress right now. I'm, I'm, I saw an article in Politico today about how I believe it was Politico about how the uh, House representatives uh, Paul Ryan's uh, leadership is just basically melting down. They've got this um, uh, discharge petition going that that, that would uh, go around Ryan uh, on DACA uh... There are—they just failed a, a major vote that was a big deal for the Republicans. I mean, there's just—you're is, is you're in the House of Representatives. What's what's going on there?
4: Yeah, well, I'm cautiously optimistic about this discharge petition. You know, I've gotten cynical having been there almost a year and a half. We always do the discharge petitions to force a vote, and it's all the Democrats, and you don't get any Republicans. But this time on DACA, you have uh, Republicans breaking uh, from Paul Ryan and uh, a number of the. Uh, moderate Republicans saying we need a vote. I think first they see that uh, they're going to lose in November if they don't uh, uh, show some independence. And so they are uh, more willing to uh, break uh, from the Speaker because their own careers are are at stake. Uh, The farm bill was just a total disaster. I mean, that uh, that what they were trying to do usually those things are fairly bipartisan and they didn't get a single democratic vote because they were putting work requirements uh, for people who were getting nutritional assistance now you and i know that uh, people who often rely on nutritional assistance are doing that because they are unable to get work they're either being underemployed or they're not getting paid enough and so to put work requirements on that is basically to kick off people, uh, the most uh, needy off of a nutrition assistance, and it's often not for them; it's for their kids. And so the cruelty of uh, some of these policies has made it that uh, Ryan doesn't have a single a Democratic vote, and finally we're seeing some uh, moderates break for him from him.
3: Yeah, it's it's truly remarkable. We've got a, a bunch of callers, and I have a, a million questions, but I'll defer to my to my listeners here. Let's uh, let's pick up some calls here. John, uh, watching on Free Speech TV in Vernon Hills, Illinois. John, you're on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna.
5: Yo, con- Congressman, thank you for uh, being there. Uh, listen to Tom every day, and, or watch him now. I've got Free Speech TV. I have a major question. First of all, I wish to I wish to tell you that I have a definition. For that party. I call them the refugly clan party. There's so much racism in that party. And the question is, sir, is there any of those that no care party at all
4: that you can have any trust with?
5: That's a good question.
4: You know, I uh think on issues of uh race there there are with uh, some of the younger members and the new generation of folks who uh understand that immigration is Uh, a key to our nation that uh, don't want to traffic in homophobia or anti-foreigner sentiments. And I've had, uh, personally, good relationships with a number of the freshman members of Congress. I think the challenge is that the president has set such an ugly tone, and he has made it uh, such that to win these Republican primaries, the further you mimic uh, the president's tone, the better uh, your chances are. And we saw actually some of the Republican Congress people didn't fear that well in uh, their elections because they were being challenged uh, from the right. And so you actually have this scary situation where, uh, believe it or not, a, lo- a lot of my colleagues fear most uh, a challenge from their right uh, with someone who's more Trump-like in their rhetoric on race and uh, gender and immigration than they are.
3: It's, it's a remarkable time. Wayne in Chicago, listening to WCPT, our blow blowtorch station in that city. Wayne, you're on the air with Congressman Connick. Yes, good morning. Can you hear me? Just fine.
5: Yes, uh, I have a question, Tom, for you and the uh, congressman. This is what I don't understand. Um, How can you expect a Joe Sixpack-like person like me to vote for the Democratic Party when, uh, like, five Democratic senators voted to confirm Ms. Haspel knowing that she enjoyed torture? Here's a quote from the Senate Intelligence Committee, the ranking Democrat, Mark Warner, Virginia, he says, I will feel safer knowing CIA has Ms. Haspel at the helm. I mean, why should I vote for Democrats and they're uh, putting somebody as the
4: director of CIA who they know enjoys torture?
3: And destroys evidence. Congressman?
4: Well, it's a fair question. I mean, it's appalling. This is uh, about standing up for basic values of human rights, and, uh, you know, Gina Haspel has condoned torture has been on the record and has covered it up. Uh, has not even unequivocally uh, said she would stand up to the president if the president uh, asked her to engage in uh, t- torture techniques. So, uh, I agree with you uh, that the Democratic Party needs to take a clear stand. I uh, honestly am sympathetic with your fru- uh, sympathetic with your frustrations, and we need to do a better job of standing up for our values. Uh, and that's something that's a fair criticism of our party.
3: We need to work on it. Congressman Ro Khanna is with us for the hour, answering your calls. Uh, you can find his website khanna.house.gov. K-H-A-N-N-A, dot dot you can tweet him and give him a tweet and say hi and thanks for being on the program this morning. Rep R E P Ro R O Khanna K H A N N A. Rep Ro Khanna is his Twitter handle. We'll be back with more of your questions for Congressman Khanna.
6: This is the Tom Hartman
3: program. We're talking for the hour with the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, Congressman Ro Khanna of California. We'll be back with more of your calls for the Congressman Ro And welcome back, Joe in Cupertino, California. You, thanks for watching us on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna.
5: Tom, thank you for taking my call. I really appreciate it, Congressman. It's a pleasure speaking with you again. I, I wanted to ask, I'll make a statement and then ask a question, but let me just suggest. That I spoke to you earlier about trying to get younger people to vote. And uh, you know, uh, if you're aware of this, uh, in our county, we had a 15 year old that apparently committed a murder when he was a very young kid. He's now being tried or being considered to be tried as an adult. And my question here is, is both of you whose know, constitutional awareness is much greater than mine, but if we can try a minor as an adult, then can we not look at getting a minor to vote so that at least he might have some say about whether or not it's okay to put somebody to death, uh, you know, because they committed a crime, and it was a tragedy. but. I just like to get more people to vote. I think that's the, the change that needs to be made. My statement was uh, basically that I hear what you're saying about the Farm Bill. Jeff Denham's on the run and he's using the Spanish language to try because he's afraid he's going to lose. And that would be a great foot 14 for us. He's our neighbor to our district. I just wondered if you thought maybe as a progressive, the vice chair of the progressive party, you might try something that uh, Mark Pocan's been doing and reaching out and going over there and getting rid of the, the speaker. I'll take your answer off the
3: air. Thank you. Thanks, Joe.
4: Thanks. Well, Mark Pocan has been terrific. He's our leader. He's the chair of our uh, progressive caucus, and he uh, helped to get Randy Bryce uh, in the race against Paul Ryan. A lot of us supported Randy, and Mark has been going uh, to that district. I have been uh, active in uh, the CD10 in California, which is the Denham District, and I want to get behind whoever uh, the nominee is. There are four or five candidates running. I don't think uh, it makes sense for me to, to try to pick someone before the our own primary plays out, but as soon as our we have a candidate on June 5th, I'm going to be uh, going there. And your point about young people, I remember your call earlier. Uh, I think you're absolutely right that getting people voting earlier before they go off to college or community college uh, will get them more invested in the system, uh, even if we can't get a constitutional amendment to lower the voting age, I think we ought to have some programs where people can at least go when they're 16, 17 to vote and make that part as, as a trial uh, or as something that's a preparatory uh, make, and make that part of the high school curriculum.
3: There are, there are several towns now. Uh, we, did, we did a story on this a couple of weeks ago, and my apologies, I can't remember exactly where they were, but there, there are several towns that have actually lowered their voting age to 16 for everything except federal elections. Oh, that's and interesting. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm I'm wondering, you know, in this uh, era of, uh, I, mean, I think it was in response to the Parkland shootings, uh, if, if this might turn into a trend. Have you heard any rumblings out in California about this?
4: You know, I, I have not, but that doesn't mean uh, that it's not happening. I'd love to look up what those uh, cities are. And I've got to tell you, one, the kids today are just far smarter and not more knowledgeable than uh, when I was in high school. I mean, I'm amazed by how much they follow the news, how informed they are. Uh, and so I think that we have to look at uh, uh, their capacity to, to uh, vote. And uh, they have the knowledge and they have the information. My, I would argue they're probably more informed often than uh, uh, some of us who are older. So I, uh, I definitely think it's something to be looked at. And I uh, will uh, look up what, what other cities are already doing that.
3: Great. Congressman Rocana, taking your calls for the hour. We'll be back with more in just a moment. It's coming up on 20 Minutes Past the Hour. Welcome back to the Tom Hartman program. Congressman Rokana is with us for the hour, taking your calls and uh, his website uh, khanna.house.gov. You can tweet him at rep r e p like representative rep ro r o khanna k h a n n a rep Ro Khanna. And Congressman, you're still with us, right? I am. Okay, great. <laughs> Kathy in Concord, California, listening on Sirius XM. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna.
6: Hey, how are you, Tom? I think you're great. Um, I'm actually in Concord, North Carolina. Oh. Um uh-huh. and Congressman Connor, thank you so much for everything that you do to try to save this democracy. Um thank you, and my question is, you know, Tom always says that we are the sane party, the Democrats. And you know, more than ever before, we're definitely the the grown ups in the room. And I was curious how tempting it is, you know, I mean, when you're making a speech on the House floor, how badly do you want to just say he's lying? You know, and just say it like it is. I mean, there's a lot of people that have said we have to really start using the word lie more. And I know that you're bound by, you know, the protocols of, of the House of Representatives. But how much do you think if we simplified, you know, what we keep saying and just said he's lying and, and made that be our main thing instead of clouding it with a million different issues, if that would that help, do you think?
4: Well, two comments. When I uh, first got to Congress, I went on one of my early speeches on the House floor, and I said, that I don't think the president understands arithmetic. And I got, uh, uh, not uh, someone complained to the parliamentarian, and I quickly learned that uh, you're not allowed to say anything on the House floor that can impute the, the motives, even though what I was saying is the president's numbers don't add up. So certainly the House floor is a place you, you have to be careful, uh, and they'll cut you off. Uh, and the rules are very strict. But I think to your broader point, uh, we should speak plainly. And and uh, it's uh, very clear, this president campaign saying he was going to be for the forgotten Americans. Uh, and he's given tax breaks that help a lot of companies in my district, Apple, Google, Intel. And I guess if he thought they were the forgotten Americans, then he's doing a good job. But if he really was intending to help people in Ohio, Michigan, uh, Kentucky, we had Appalachia, places left behind, uh, he hasn't done a thing for them. And I think we can uh, say that very clean, uh, clearly, and it, it's the fact.
3: Yeah. I'm not recommending this, but back during the Bush administration, I wrote a, an op-ed about how Dick Cheney was actually a war criminal and should be called such. And Congresswoman Cynthia Kinney from Georgia read that on the floor of the House. <laughs> they literally dragged her off the floor as she was continuing to read it, you know, kicking and screaming. It was it was an amazing thing to see. Kyle in DeKalb, Illinois, you're on the air. Or DeKalb, excuse me. You're on, and thanks for listening to WCPT. You're on the air with Congressman Rokana. Yeah,
7: I was the to uh, share an idea. It was a good thing um, to shift some of the uh, incentive to get the gun situation in schools resolved to uh, implement something where anybody, if a student or staff of a school that uh, had a shots fired situation, uh, get a benefit package of some sort to offset their setback of witnessing that, uh, possibly could have some do to health care or college paid for or something um, to help them out after that, but then to have it be paid for as a tax on ammunition, or I guess done preferably in my mind ammunition, Um, all all paid for the year's previous bill from shooting. So I think as soon as we came up with something like that, uh, everybody involved in trying to fix it, it would be taken care of relatively uh, quickly a few exceptions.
3: And if I may add to that real quickly, Kyle, thank you. Um, Congressman, for years now I've been calling for us to simply uh, do with guns what we do with cars, which is registration from the time of manufacture till the time of destruction, uh, a license proving proficiency where you get in front of a certified instructor and prove that you, you know how to use the weapon, and number three, everybody should have liability insurance. I think it's crazy yeah. that if a drunk driver had mowed down 10 people in, in, uh, in Texas last week, that all Geico would be paying a million bucks to each one of their families, but because they were shot with guns, nothing.
4: I completely agree. I tweeted out uh, about this call for liability and insurance uh, because I was uh, getting so furious hearing folks saying in the Santa Fe incident that there's nothing we can do and laws wouldn't make a difference. Uh, their point is, uh, it, fine, if you don't want to ban shotguns or pistols, and Britain pistols are banned, but let's say you don't uh, think they should be banned. The point is still that there was an error made that this kid uh, got those guns from his father, just like the shooter in Sandy Hook got guns uh, from uh, his mother. And if we had liability uh, insurance, if we had uh, rules that uh, incentivize people to keep these guns safe, and you can sure as hell believe those uh, incentives would be there uh, if insurance companies feared liability, uh, then a lot of these tragedies would be avoided. So uh, it is just factually not correct to say that laws would not have made a difference in the Santa Fe incident.
3: Linda in Deerfield Beach, Florida, you're on the air with Congressman Rocon. Hi,
0: thank you for taking my call. Um, Congressman, um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but um, Medicare uh, in 2018 is about to change drastically for our seniors, and that's why I'm asking, because of the budget cuts. And one of the things that are changing is if you have, per se, like a hip replacement, for everything except your post-operative care. And, you know, you'll go see that doctor in your second week, in your sixth week, in three months. They take x-rays. They see how you're doing. None of this care is going to be cutting all this um, out of the budget. And I want to know why are we attacking seniors because I'm a baby boomer. I'm about to go into Medicare in a few years. And now all of a sudden they're making all these cuts, which means a lot of us people are going to postpone our surgeries because we can't leave our employer base because we thought we were going to have Medicare to back it up. And I'll take your question off the air. Thank you very much.
4: Well, I appreciate your uh, bringing it up. And, uh, you know, my father had uh, uh, knee surgery twice, and at that time Medicare uh, did cover it. But this is something that is so common, uh, hip replacements, knee replacements. uh, We want people to be able to get uh, that kind of treatment because it keeps them active and it actually uh, helps them have a healthier, uh, longer life. And this is what is so broken about uh, our health care system that we don't uh, cover the preventative carefully, and we then end up uh, having exorbitant costs uh, down the line. Uh, this is absolutely the wrong place to cut in Medicare. If you want to know why uh, Medicare costs are going up, uh, it's because of the hospital monopolies and hospital uh, fees uh, that are being charged. It's because uh, you have in Medicare Advantage insurance companies uh, making out a, a tremendous amount. It's because of the pharmaceutical costs and the costs uh, that are being charged uh, by health care providers. Uh, in, in certain, some doctor's procedures. So th- th- that is where we need reform in terms of the costs. And Medicare for All uh, and the types of plans that have been proposed would cut those costs. The place uh, that we shouldn't be cutting is actual uh, patient care.
3: Dave in Buffalo, New York. You're on the air with Congressman Rokana. Uh, Congressman Tom, thank you. Uh, Congressman, uh, I constantly always hear uh, that the economy is doing well.
7: And uh, since the 70s and 80s, if minimum wage had kept up with inflation, it would be over $22 an hour, not 15 or 7 And number two, uh, since the 80s, they've been tracking household income, uh, not with one person like it used to when we were a county was strong, really. Uh, it, it goes by three and four incomes. The wife will be working, the husband will have two jobs, and the son will be working as well as for income on the house. And uh, who who is this economy actually working for? That's over $600 a week that corporations are sucking out of the the people that are earning minimum wage. And I'd like to know who this economy is working for.
4: Well, it's a great question. Let me give you uh, two more statistics that support your point. From 2005 to 2015, 81% of households in America either saw a decline or stagnation in their wages. 81 percent, and that number hasn't come down uh, significantly in the few years since. In that same decade, corporate profits were at a record high in the past 70 years. Uh, those are just facts. So we know the economy is where, if you're an executive at a corporation, if you're uh, one of the people who is heavily invested in the stock market, the economy is working for you. If you are a worker in this economy uh, and if you rely actually on an uh, in income as opposed to investment income, uh, your chances are, and you're making under a hundred grand. This economy has not been working for you, and so that that is the fact. Now you can. What the Republicans have done is just double down on the side of the economy that already was growing and totally ignored uh, everyone else.
3: Ron, listening on WRFI in Lansing, New York, You're on the air with Congressman Rokana.
5: Hi, thanks for taking my call. I just had a, a thought about our elections and the fact that. We had a very low turnout for the amount of adults that could have voted in this last presidential election, and now we have midterms coming up, which are hugely important. But why can't we have a national holiday for election to try to motivate people to do their civic duty? And if we can't have a new one, where is it written in stone that it has to be November 6th? Why couldn't it be something like Veterans Day, maybe to motivate people?
4: It's a great point. There's a uh, professor, Bruce Ackerman, he's a constitutional law professor at Yale. He's written this book, Deliberation Day, that actually talks about the need for an election holiday and getting people voting. But here's the thing to, to recognize. There are a lot of people in this country who don't want folks to vote. They don't have an incentive to increase voter participation. The untold story about 2016. I mean, there's all this talk about foreign interference, and I'm sure uh, foreign interference took place. But the untold story is the voter suppression. How in African American communities, where there were 20 polling places, uh, they 19 were eliminated, and they had one polling places. The voter ID laws. Uh, Hillary Clinton would have won overwhelmingly if it were not for the systematic disenfranchisement of minority communities in some of these states. So, your point uh, and my point. A lot of us we say, okay, let's have more people voting. I honestly believe if 100% of people would vote in my district, and if that meant I would no longer be in Congress, I'm fine with it. I believe enough in the democratic process, but there are systematic forces that actually do not want to increase voter participation in this country.
3: Congressman, just before the break at the bottom of the hour you were answering a question about getting democrats more involved and, and i stepped on it my my apologies and the break stepped on it and then i forgot to bring it back and to answer it you were going somewhere with that you want to well, finish I, I, that up
4: one, there there're two uh, reforms cuz your listeners are so informed that i hope they will follow and support there's a unity commission that came about after the bernie hillary uh, election and this commission is unanimous unanimously uh, supported two concrete recommendations one eliminate superdelegates there's no reason that I should get a vote uh, as a congressman on who the president of the United States should be. Uh, That vote should be based on the people. The second thing, which uh, more people need to pay attention to, is the laws in Democratic parties in different states. Consider New York. If you were an independent, and a lot of progressives, as you know, tend to be independent. I mean, Bernie was independent. If you were an independent, you had to, 11 months before Election Day, switch to become a democrat or a republican to be able to vote in the New York primary for president. Well, this disenfranchised so many independents from voting. Many of those folks were progressives, many of them would have probably voted for Sanders, and if you talk to some of the folks close to Sanders, they will they will tell you that if progressives were allowed to at least switch and cast a ballot the same day, if independents were allowed to have same day uh, the ability to change and vote in a Republican or Democratic primary, uh, Sanders would probably have won many of those states. The Democratic Party in many of these states have a vested interest, as does the Republican Party, not to let independents vote. And it's not just a part of the point. It's why Donald Trump's kids were not allowed to vote for him in the Republican primary in New York. We need to change that. We need to make it... Uh, that independents can vote in the Democratic primary. A lot of those folks will be progressives. I think if we made those two reforms, uh, we would see a lot more progressive participation.
3: Solid stuff. Congressman Ro Khanna with us, representing the 17th District of California. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus' website, Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A, Khanna.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep Khanna. We'll be back with more of your questions for Congressman Khanna right after this. It's coming up on about 12 minutes before the hour. And welcome back, Raymond, watching Free Speech TV in Hearst, Texas. You are on the air with Congressman Ro Khanna. Hello, Tom,
2: and Congressman, thank you for taking my call. Sure. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I'm calling about the President's proclamation that uh, we should do something about health care and return to gun violence in our country. Um, I haven't heard any proposals from him at all that would go in that area. However, I have one. Apparently, in the 40s, the uh, Army used a test to screen incoming recruits into the Army to make sure that they were suitable for the Army. It was called the MMPI. And the MMPI is still around today.
3: This is the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory?
2: The Minnesota Multiphasic. Exactly. Uh, However, I think that we could modify this test in order to spot potential shooters in our schools. So it's something that we could do with probably relatively little effort, and just test everybody when they're 13 years old and see if they have a pearl addiction for wearing trench coat and, and German badges. I had a friend like that in the school. He had a Luger. He was very proud of it. And he scared us all to death with it. So uh, I think it's something that's out there. You find a number of teens that, that do go down that weird road, and I think we just need to stop them before they kill.
4: I'm certainly open to screening in terms of getting access to a gun and uh, the appropriate type of screening uh, I don't know if we need to be you know having psychological profiling on every student and I'd have some civil liberties concerns if that was just start if we started using that more broadly, but if there's a way to do it uh, consistent with people's uh, civil liberties in cases where uh, there is a threat of violence or someone is, is, is to prevent people from having an access to a gun that I certainly would support.
3: Yeah, the MMPI is really uh, almost more of a personality profile but but uh, you know the the big the big concern here I would think congressman is uh, you know what if you've got somebody like Donald Trump designing and deciding uh, not just what the test is but what the criteria is that's going to be enforced, you know. Uh, if somebody believes that it 's a we society rather than a me society, and they 're not sufficiently you know libertarian and selfish then then they can 't vote for example, or they can 't buy a gun or whatever right i mean it, it, this could be a very very slippery slope, could it not
4: it could and i and i think i mean I think the caller had good intentions in in terms of uh, uh wanting to make sure people who are going to be a harm to society don 't have access to guns but I think that there there definitely have to be civil liberties concerns and you don 't want to profile, a personality profile test, or something designed in a way that could be manipulated uh, to uh, suppress freedoms beyond just uh, a person's uh, Second Amendment right.
3: Yeah. We just have 30 seconds. Not enough time to get a a caller in here before we hit the the next break. Um, I'm curious, do you think that there's going to be any movement on gun control in Congress?
4: I have thought so. I would have told you after Parkland, I was sure there was going to be. But uh, every time I'm I'm disappointed. And uh, I, you know, I can't say until... The Democrats uh, are in the majority. I, I, I just don't see Ryan uh, doing anything. I mean, the only thing they did was let's have more school safety officers. I mean, that was uh, their response. And the, the president, of course, was, uh, you know, in one of the bipartisan um, meetings, said he was going to do some things, and then he backed off everything he said he was going to do. So, yeah. unfortunately, I'm skeptical. Sitting...
3: Yeah, and in Santa Fe, there were two armed, uh, you know, police officers in the school. One of them got yeah. shot, and the other one wasn't around. Uh, it's amazing. Congressman Roh with us. We'll be right back. Hey, I've got to tell you about the world's best chair. Most of us spend over 2,000 hours a year sitting in our office chairs. And if you have back problems or trouble concentrating throughout the day, there's a simple reason. You're sitting in the wrong chair. Take your chair, your style, and your productivity to the next level with an X-chair. The X-chair's unique anthropomorphic design and dynamic variable lumbar support cradle your body... In a way, you need to feel to believe. And a more comfortable posture means better concentration and much higher productivity. In fact, if you're a business owner, there's no better way to reward your top performers than giving them an X chair. And the X chair's sleek modern style will upgrade the entire look of your office. Give yourself and your staff the gift that pays dividends five days a week year round. Feel and see the X chair difference by going to xchairtom.com right now. That's the letter X chair tom, T H O M. Dot com or call 1-844-4-X-CHAIR. If you're not truly thrilled by the look and feel after 30 days, refer, return it for a full refund. Order today and save 100 bucks and get free shipping. If you go to XCHAIRTOM.com right now and enter the code TOM, T-H-O-M, you get a free footrest. That's XCHAIRTOM.com or call 1-844-X-CHAIR. We have one here. We love it. XCHAIRTOM.com. Congressman am on the line taking your calls for the hour Mike in Albuquerque, New Mexico. You're on the air with Congressman Connor.
1: Oh hi Tom. You're always a source of oxygen in the nation. Thanks Mike, real uh, quick. We
3: just have 60 seconds. Can you hear me? Yes.
5: Uh, the, my question is how can we uh,
1: our principles with programs and the reason I ask this is uh, I, everyone seems to forget that Hillary did win the election And almost by a landslide, three percent is usually considered a landslide, and she came very
4: close. So, so Mike, I'm sorry, we're
3: we're we're running out of time here. Your question is: What are the progressive goals that are achievable for the Democratic Party, Congressman?
4: I think they're very simple. First, no more foreign wars. We spent seven trillion dollars on Iraq and Afghanistan. We could have put that money onto domestic programs. What domestic programs? We should have Medicare for all. We should have a jobs plan that gives every American a job. We need to raise the minimum wage, expand the earned income tax credit so Americans get a raise. And we need to make tuition in this country free. We could pay for it all by cutting the defense budget and stopping foreign interventions. And I think that's a substantive vision and a vision that would assure Americans in every part of this country uh, that we care about their well-being and their kids' well-being.
3: Congressman, I was off in my timing by 30 seconds, so we have 30 seconds left. What what do you see coming up in this uh, as we head into this holiday weekend here? Uh, you know that, that we should be paying attention to.
4: Well, the one vote I hope everyone will pay attention to is the uh, the banking vote. Uh, Senator Warren had come and spoke to the progressive caucus uh, about how key this vote is. They want to repeal parts of uh, Dodd Frank uh, and basically exempt banks uh, from the regulations, capital requirements, or being regulated, things that led to the financial cra- crash. They call them community banks, but some of these community banks have $50 to $100 billion in assets. Uh, so it's basically a handout to Wall Street. Unfortunately, 16 Democratic senators voted for it. I'm hopeful uh, we won't get ha- any House Democrats supporting this.
3: Very good. Congressman Ro Khanna, thanks so much for being with us today.
4: Thank you for all having me on.
3: It's great talking with you. We'll be back with more of the program right after this. You're listening to Tom Hartman. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. On the line with us is Frank Schaefer. He's the author of Letter to Lucy, a manifesto of creative redemption for the age of Trump, fascism, and lies. His website Frank s c h a e f f e r dot com, and you can tweet him at frank underscore Schaefer, sort of like Tom underscore Hartman, of a uh, of a former evangelical, well, an, an evangelist. Uh, well, Frank, welcome back to the program. I, I I should let you introduce yourself, and and you've been thank you've been, you. and, and thank, you. thank you, and you've been and you've been talking at some length about how uh, evangelical Christians think that it's just a wonderful thing that the uh, Jerusalem Embassy that the embassy in uh, Israel has been moved into uh, occupied Jerusalem and th- because it's going to bring Jesus back to earth uh, you know what's going on with all this
7: well you know back when Ralph Reed uh, Franklin Graham Jerry Falwell Jr. Dr. Dobson who founded Focus on the Family basically cut a deal with Trump the deal was this that, that is unspoken but very direct we'll put up with all your philandering, your three marriages your multiple affairs, paying off porn stars, your lies, your bogus university, your six bankruptcies, your claims about wealth that you don't have, your failing to file uh, tax returns with the public and let them know what you've got. We'll put up with all that. As long as you do a couple of things for us. One, we want anti-abortion judges at the federal level across the board. Two, we believe in the prophecies of Scripture being fulfilled Only if Jerusalem is the capital of Israel, the Jews control most of what was Judean Samaria, in other words, maintain the occupied territories. And as long as you will, as it were, let your foreign policy when it comes to the Middle East be directed by Christian Zionism, the Zionism represented by people like Reverend Hagee in Houston and Reverend Jeffress, who's now an advisor to the president, We will go along with whatever else you do. We don't care about the economy because we think the world is ending. We don't care how many wars you get into because that all looks like biblical prophecy to us at the end times. We don't believe in global warming in any way. Bring it on. The world is ending. We don't care about earthly things. You just do our agenda, and we'll back you. And they've continued to do that. They did it with Roy Moore, you know, an alleged pedophile. No problem, as long as you maintain our agenda. Now, back in the day, when I was a leader in the religious right in the 70s and 80s, we would not have believed where all this went. But we, my dad and I, Francis Schaeffer, who was a well-known theologian and evangelist, Dr. Sievert Koop, who I made a film series with, who then became Ronald Reagan's Surgeon General, and he and I and my dad essentially started the evangelical wing of the anti-abortion movement. Our ideas then were that we had to stop abortion. We regarded it as murder. The gay rights scene was just beginning to emerge, and we were standing against that. But the culture war since has spun out to the point where the evangelical vote, the white evangelical voter, not only put Trump in power, they are maintaining him in power. They are the last bastion of his support. And so when they all turned up in Jerusalem recently to have a prayer meeting while the Israeli military snipers shot down 60 Palestinians in cold blood from positions on a fortified wall in which not one Israeli was killed or injured on the military side, 60 to nothing, an absolute massacre, these evangelicals, Haggy and Jefferson and others, gathered in a prayer meeting with the Prime Minister of Israel, who has pursued a very nefarious, uh, underhanded policy for years now, coddling the lunatic fringe, the moron fringe, of the white evangelical American voter, the extremist uh, fringe, the, the, the people who think Jesus is coming back any moment, or at least raise a lot of money pretending they do, like John Hagee, who's a total flake, and con artist, who I know personally, Uh, and so you see the whole thing coming together. You've got the Prime Minister of Israel having American foreign policy deformed and formed by the evangelical vote that has put a completely unworthy man in the presidency, and you have these guys showing up for the party with the backdrop of gunfire. So it's apocalyptic, but not the way they mean. Um, It is exactly the opposite of what you just talked about in your last segment, with madison and others trying to keep religion and public life separate u.s. foreign policy and i think people should get this through their head when it comes to the middle east is now being dictated by the moron lunatic fringe of the white evangelical movement and that's where we are today with donald trump that's the deal he made for them to put him in power and keep their support going
3: we're talking with frank schaefer frank schaefer com his book letter to lucy uh... frank You were, yeah, you know, back in the '70s. I read like *Great Planet Earth* by Hal Lindsey and got all flipped out for about a year about this. And I I was attending an evangelical church myself, and uh, the the Church of God in Lansing, Michigan. And the, you know, I kind of came out of that, came through that, I guess. Um, You did too. You you have uh, had your own epiphany, uh, as it were, about the uh, how corrupt this uh, so-called religious right is. What, how do we, how do we reach out to the people who are being exploited by groups like, you know, uh, the billionaire, the billionaire groups, you know, uh, billionaire Rupert Murdoch, of course, Fox News, they exploit these people. Uh, you've got, uh, obviously, uh, Netanyahu exploiting these people. Uh, Haggy, uh, you mentioned, and I forget the other guy's name, who is there at, uh, in Jerusalem. Jeffress. That's right, Jeffers. Uh, um When, how do we speak to their followers, people who have... Who, 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 like you and I at one point, uh, actually believed this stuff. How do we help them wake up?
7: Well, on a theological level, you know, you mentioned Hal Lindsey's late Great Planet Earth. I knew Hal very well. He used to come to my dad's ministry of the fellowship back in the late 60s and 70s when he was all fresh and bushy-tailed and, you know, write this great book, and then it came out. And then a few years later, he had to revise it because nothing he said was going to happen happened. A few years later, he re- revised it again. I mean, really, uh, Saturday Night Live couldn't do a better job mocking these prophetic claims, uh, then revised books, updating the timetable for the return of Jesus. Um, and then, of course, the, the whole uh, series came out, Late Great Planet Earth, uh, and, and that, uh, in a fiction form, sort of updated it again, 60 million copies sold. That's the left-behind left book, Shane. Yeah, the left-behind yeah. what did I just say? Yeah. Um, left behind. And what happened was, basically, a cult formed within evangelicalism of the rapture and it was used by evangelists for years to scare kids in the aisle. You know, you better come to Jesus, confess your sins, because Jesus could come back any day. Israel's a nation again. We see signs. You know, any day you're going to look up now, the moon will turn to blood, and Jesus will be on the way, and you better get right with the Lord. That's how it was used. It was also used as fundraising. It's an enormous scam. A guy like Haggy and these others have built literal empires on this end-time nonsense. And then, of course, Israel has exploited it. Now, the Israeli government not only are are they Jews who are not Christians, but most of them are secularists, most of them are atheists, they are in in Israel itself, they do business with Orthodox Jews, but the government is run by a secular group of technocrats, just like governments all over the world are. They look at these people as idiots, useful idiots, that they stroke and speak their language to and bring on tours to Israel, and now that they've got Trump doing their bidding, um, they think that, you know, this will all work out, and this is their backbone of support. And of course, the great shame is on two fronts. First, if you were appealing to answer your question to the evangelical follower in this cult, who literally has cracked. I mean, these people's brains have been deformed by by this. Uh, They've been in it so long. You'd have to say, look, none of the claims of the last 20, 30, 40 years of prophecy have come true. You have been lied to. All those books you bought, all those hundreds of dollars you spent on seminars, none of it happened. Second point would be you are being exploited by flakes like Haggy who are making money off you by manipulative, cynical politicians, both in the United States and the Republican Party, ultimately Donald Trump and everybody in the Republican Party these days, and then in addition to that, doubly so, by an atheistic uh, group of of Jewish technocrats in Israel who not only think your theology is insane, but behind your back to scoff at you, but use you as useful idiots. And I would say this to my friends in Israel, and that is something else. You've made a bad bargain. We're going to toss these idiots out on their ear in 2018 and then in 2020, you have politicized support from Israel to the point where it is now a Republican issue in exactly the same way that abortion uh, abortion has become a Republican issue, a litmus test. And what you've done is you basically told the Democrats and right-thinking Republican people who are not part of this cult, we don't need you. We want to cater to the lunatic fringe of the fundamentalist cults within the United States. That's who our support is. Well. You're welcome to them. Look at the demographics. This is an aging group of white voters who are going to go away. They are being replaced by a group of young people, many of whom describe themselves as nuns, NONE, not nuns in inhabit. Uh, in other words, they have no religion. And when that clock turns, what you're going to be left with is a politicized idea about Israel, that this is just the field of crazy white evangelical Trump supporters who have winked and nodded at his disastrous presidency. 10, 15 years from now, when you chart the decline of support for Israel in the United States, they're going to remember Benjamin Netanyahu as a curse word for a fool who talked his government into supporting what amounts to a fringe party of old people that are going to be going away. And so it's a bad deal for Israel. It's a horrible deal for America. Uh, it, It makes fools of us globally. It means all our Middle Eastern entanglements in which there is multiple instances of American bloodshed including 9-11, by the way. All of this is inexplicable without understanding this sort of connection to Israel and the rest of it. Now with Trump, we've gone to a new level where he's actually sitting down with Jefferson, these guys in the Oval Office, and allowing them to dictate policy. And I don't think most Americans understand that. This is evangelical fundamentalist end-times policy being written for a president who is clueless about world affairs. And so it's a real mess. You know, I'm, I'm 60... Seven, and I've certainly
3: seen nothing like this in my lifetime from either party. Yeah, yeah. We are the same age, in fact. Uh, fascinating stuff. I, 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 we're, we're talking with Sha- Frank Schaefer. His book is Letter to Lucy, a manifestation, uh, Manifesto Excuse Me, for Creative Redemption uh, for the Age of Trump, Fascism, and Lies. His website, Frank Schaefer, You can tweet him at Frank underscore Schaefer. Frank, thanks so much for being with us today.
7: Thank you,
3: Tom. You put it you put it so well, so clearly, so tightly, so concisely. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. I'm really impressed. Frank Schaefer. Thank you. A, a, a Great man. Thank you. I think you're doing God's work right now. Thank you, Frank. Thanks. We will be back with more of the news of the day in your calls.
6: This is the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. If you live here in Oregon, in Salem, Corvallis, Eugene, Florence, or Portland, uh, good news. A movie is coming to you. Uh, It uh, will be traveling around the country. We'll hear all about it in just a moment. It's called All Governments Lie. It was co-produced by Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen is the media critic and lecturer, founding director of the Park Center for Independent Media at Ithaca College, where he's an associate professor of journalism. He's the author, most recently, of Cable News Confidential, My Misadventures in Corporate Media, as the former senior producer of MSNBC's Phil Donahue program. He is the founder of Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting at FAIR.org and co-founder of RootsAction.org. And Jeff Cohen, friend of the show, back on with us. Hey, Jeff.
1: Great to be with you.
3: It's always great having you on. So tell us about this new movie.
1: Uh the movie's called All Governments Lie: Truth, Deception and the Spirit of I.F. Stone. For some of your younger listeners, viewers, Tom, they may not remember I.F. Stone like you and I do. Uh I.F. Stone was one of the most important journalists of the 1940s, 50s, 60s, 70s. He published a newsletter called I.F. Stone's Weekly, a four-page newsletter from 1953 to 1971, where he fought racism as a journalist. He challenged the uh, witch hunts against progressive people in the name of anti-communism. And, of course, he was the first journalist in the early 60s to question the U.S. lies, all the deceit about the expanding U.S. war in Vietnam. So what the movie's about, it's a little bit about Izzy Stone, And it's about a lot of the I.F. Stone uh, journalists, the independents who are working today. And the movie includes people like Amy Goodman and Nermeen Shaikh from uh, Democracy Now! It includes The Young Turks, which is the web TV show. It includes Glenn Greenwald and Jeremy Scahill from The Intercept, Matt Taibbi from Rolling Stone, Michael Moore. Um, It's about, these are the stars of the movie, And so if anyone's interested in how governments lie and how journalists expose those lies, and they do it today, uh, it's the movie for them. All governments lie, and I'll be all over Oregon with the movie. I'm also interviewed in the movie.
3: Is this movie going to end up in national release, uh, do you have any plans to yeah. put it on the internet? I mean, what's what's the arc? We've
1: given up. You, people can get it through the internet. They can get it on iTunes. They, the only TV network that bought was Stars, which mm-hmm. is a pay cable channel. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting about it, Tom, is it's been shown on public TV channels across the world, but not PBS. Hmm. And it's a movie about the U.S. Hmm. So. It's, to me, you know, the fact that it was on, like, NHK, the huge public TV in Japan, it was on public TV in Germany, public TV in France, uh, but it's not on public TV in the U.S., and it's a movie largely about U.S. media and U.S. politics. It says something about what's wrong with our media system here, including so-called public television.
3: Well, and, and not to turn this into a conversation about that, but just briefly... Uh, I think one of the big challenges that progressive radio has is that people think that NPR is progressive, and NPR yeah. has become the go-to place now for a whole bunch of Koch brothers front groups. Uh, you know, in fact, MSNBC has regularly got Matt Welch, you know, the guy from uh, Reason Magazine, which is, you know, f- funded by the Kochs or was started or whatever, you know, these libertarians, these right-wingers. Uh, but uh, they, they pop up on NPR with frightening regularity, and it is not a progressive channel.
1: Right. And I mean, in some places, that's all that people have access to.
3: In most places. You
1: know? Right. So, I mean, Outside so, the Tom, area. yeah, I listen to your show all the time because you're on WRFI Community Radio in Ithaca, New York, where I have been a teacher for 10 years in the journalism department at Ithaca College. And then there's a new low-power station in Woodstock, uh, New York, that has your show. And But remember, a lot of people don't know. like there's a lot of people that think NPR is okay, even though it's a very narrow spectrum of experts. FAIR.org has analyzed NPR year after year. It's a very corporately biased channel. They have a spectrum that goes from center to right, from General Electric to General Motors, um, and they don't understand the the deeper issues. You won't get the deeper issues. You can't be anti-corporate and be on NPR. So... Uh and and then there's others, Tom, who don't you know, they don't think NPR is the progressive independent alternative. They think MSNBC is. And to me that's even that's just as ludicrous. That MSNBC is owned by Where you used to work. Yeah, oh yeah. And it's owned by Comcast. They uh Comcast is working hand in glove with the Trump Federal Communications Commission to end that neutrality. If they end that neutrality, that will be the biggest blow to democracy and independent journalism and progressive media. Uh, and Comcast, the owners of MSNBC, are working. They love Trump's Federal Communications Commission. And if you watch MSNBC, you only get half the story. You know, if I, I listen to you, Tom, and I get the whole story. Because in our country for decades, as you pointed out, we've had two big problems. One is right-wing extremism. And the other is the corporatism and corruption of the leadership of the Democratic Party. And if all you're talking about is Republican extremism over and over, Trump, 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 Russia, 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 and you never bring up the failings of the corporate leadership of the Democratic Party, you're giving your people half the story. It's like that old George Carlin joke. We have a partial score in from the West Coast, Los Angeles six.
3: Right, uh, <laughs> exactly. You know. But but see, it's it, it's. I would argue it even goes a little beyond that, Jeff. And and uh, for example, last week we had uh, Congressman Mark Pocan on, and he was talking about how uh, he, you know he's the chair, the co-chair of the uh, Congressional Progressive Caucus, and how he and other members of the Progressive Caucus regularly reach out to the television networks and the cable television networks and say, hey, we've got a you know. The progressives are doing some really great work here. We've got a piece of legislation. We've got this idea. We just had this victory. Uh, you know, we want to talk about Medicare for all. We want to talk about, uh, you know, free college uh, for all. We want to talk about net neutrality. And they are regularly told explicitly, you are not welcome to discuss those topics on our airwaves if you want to come on our airwaves as a democratic member of congress you must speak about the trump russia stuff you must talk yeah. about donald trump that's really all we're interested in and he was expressing his frustration around that
1: yeah i i i mean i watch these channels you know so you don't have to you know. right i mean i'm watching fox news and msnbc and cnn every night and it's a center to right spectrum i mean bernie you and i talked about this over the last couple of years bernie sanders blew open that spectrum that because he had such a huge following and nearly took down the Clintonites, he forced his way into television, mainstream TV, with all of these issues that mainstream TV is uncomfortable about, like nonprofit health insurance for all, enhanced Medicare for all, and free public college education. These things were never discussed before Bernie's upsurge. They don't want to discuss it now because it's outside of the comfortable corporate center to right spectrum, and so on on uh, MSNBC. It's Russia, Russia, Russia. It's Trump, Trump, Trump. We had problems in our country before November 2016, and many of those problems were bipartisan problems. The deregulation of Wall Street that led to the crash of 07-08. It was led by Democratic President Bill Clinton and Republican members of House. The, The deregulation of the media and the allowing of the media to be taken over by a handful of giant conglomerates, that deregulation happened in the 1996 Telecommunication Act when President Bill Clinton was in office working closely with the Republican Speaker. Which New passed, passed
3: the Senate with, as I recall, 94 or 96 votes yeah, no, in favor. Yeah, it
1: was something like, I think it was 85 to 15. 80, but again, okay. a lot of the worst things that have happened are these bipartisan corporate issues that you will not get on MSNBC and CNN. It's all Trump, 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 Russia, Russia, Russia. Right. And they have rehabilitated all these... Uh, uh, Former generals, former CIA guys who were involved in torture were involved in the invasion of Iraq, and I've written columns about this. As long as they're critical of Trump, everything is forgotten on MSNBC. That's right. Yeah.
3: You know, we, we uh, Jeff, we could we could critique the media all day long, but uh, back to the movie about all governments lie. We've got about two minutes till we hit a hard break here. Um, how do all governments lie? Why do all governments lie? I mean, I, you know, you and I are old enough to remember being lied into the Vietnam War now. We've got a generation that remembers being lied into the Iraq War yep. and, 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 and efforts to, you know, lie us into a Syrian war and an Iranian war. Why?
1: Well, I just think uh, you know, there's a bunch of factors. The number one factor is mainstream media are very cozy with the corporate state, the, the military state. Uh, there's interlocked with them.
3: This is you're so talking Eisenhower's military-industrial complex.
1: Oh God, which has only gotten bigger and has, been, has sort of taken over the media. So a lot of these lies on foreign policy—they're lying today, both parties about Iran. Iran is not the main problem in the Middle East. Saudi Arabia is. Israel's suppression of Palestinians is. But you know, the Democratic leadership, the Republican leadership, and the media leadership focuses on Iran, Iran, Iran. They're not the main problem. They aren't the main sponsor of international terror, even though that's a code phrase you hear in mainstream media. The main sponsor is Saudi Arabia. So, at any rate, it's happened, as you know, for decades. It's happening today. Independent media is crucial. That's why, Tom Hartman, your, your... radio show and your T V show and Free Speech TV. People have to support these shows. Independent media, thankfully, do not have the media conglomerates behind them, which means they need us to spread the word. They need us to donate. Free speech TV needs us to donate. Pacifica Radio and Democracy Now needs us to donate. These great websites, Tom, that I know you and I rely on Truth Dig, Truth Out, Common Dreams, they need activists to support them so that they don't ever go commercial, and they can keep bringing out both sides of the problem, which is right-wing extremism and democratic elite corporatism. And the good news is independent media boomed, and millions of people every day have access to non-conglomerated news, and that will keep happening as long as we retain that neutrality.
3: Jeff, what's the website where people can get the is it, it's all Yeah, allgovernmentslie.com. and my website,
1: jeffcohen.org, they can find out all the cities I'm going to in Oregon beginning tomorrow.
3: Great. Okay, Jeff Cohen. He's on a tour here in our great state. And uh, and, and and no doubt going national. Jeff, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Good talking with you. We'll be back. Welcome back, Justin and Pal yalla washington am i saying that right justin i'm uh, pretty close okay well everyone gets it wrong it from okay cool thanks what's up justin uh,
8: well um <laughs> i am i'm grateful to take college it's been uh, it's been hard to reach you uh, but i guess i have a compliment um a couple things i i've been listening to for a years now and and you are the pinnacle of of facts and knowledge when it when it comes to political and social issues i, I really appreciate what you do thank you and um, I guess one, one critique or concern I guess I have is um, it seems to be underrepresented how challenging it is to uh, counter at the corporate Democrats. And I mean, I, you, you, well, just a couple of callers ago, you, you suggest people to go out there and vote. Of course, that, that's critical. But with all the, the purges and dumping the, voter rolls and uh, closed primaries and such it, it it's far more challenging
3: than that. closed primaries are not a problem that's unique to the Democratic Party. the Republican Party has them too. These are state decisions that are made. Uh, they're made obviously by the politicians. but Justin the, the, the simple reality is if you don't like the you know the people that the Democratic Party you know who are running the Democratic Party and thus the people running it who are choosing the candidates, um, get inside the Democratic Party and become one of the people who make those choices. It's very simple.
8: Uh, Well, I guess that depends where you are. I mean, you know, like, uh, I'm uh, in Washington state, and like, 86 percent of uh, the votes went to Sanders, of course. You know, but every single elected official in the state, you know, with their 10,000 vote worth, uh, with their superdelegate status, voted for Clinton. You know, so that undermines the very constituents. Well, this this
3: is why the Democratic Party put together this unity commission that just recommended doing away with all superdelegates. We'll see if it actually happens, but I think it's like a good thing. You know, it's, it's like the uh, conversation is moving in the right direction. Justin, I'm, I, you know, I, I, I really don't want to do the circular fire and squad thing anymore. If you don't like the way the Democratic Party is moving, become a precinct committee person. And, you know, show up at the Democratic Party and, in you know, a non-crazy, non-confrontational, straightforward, professional way say, you know, to the people there, I would like to, be, I'd like to be active, I'd like to participate, and I would like to be part of the leadership eventually. You know, and, it, and in many cases, it doesn't take that long. Uh, because there's not that many people who volunteer for these kind of things. And uh, as, as a, c- a precinct committee person, you actually choose who's going to be in the primary. You help write the party platform for the state. So, you know, th- there are things that we can do. It's just like, you know, calling in talk shows and complaining is not at the top of the list. Maurice in Chicago. Hey, Maurice, what's on your mind?
5: God bless you, brother Tom. What right. if 63 million disenfranchised voters closed 63 million active accounts at Chase, Wells Fargo, City group and Bank of America, and with a collective voice, said to them, "Mr. Banker,
3: fix my country." Well, what I'm a big, I'm a big fan, Maurice, of people moving out of banks and into credit unions. And uh, you know, uh, uh, ariana Huffington made this a uh, cause somewhat six years ago or so, and I jumped on that bandwagon, and I've been there ever since. Um, I think that people who keep their money in one of the one of the six big banks are are uh, taking a huge chance. Um, because they're going to take the economy down again, and this time yeah. I'm not sure that they're going to get their bailout. But I get your point. Um, let's take them down.
8: Let's take them down before they take us down.
3: Yeah, no, and, and, let's, and let's get out of the way first. Yeah, I'm with you, Maurice. Yeah. Maurice, thanks yeah. a lot for the call. Good to hear from you. Peter in Chicago. Hey, Peter, what's up?
7: Hey, Tom. About um, the shooting down in Texas. Yeah. <clears throat>
1: the last the argument on the gun debate has been semi-automatic, semi-automatic. Now that he's used a duck hunting shotgun and a five-shot revolver, What are you guys going after? So maybe this should bring it to light that the guns aren't the issue of why these
5: kids
3: are popping up and shooting people. Actually, so the guns are we, the issue, Peter. When when well, Australia not, um, did a massive gun buyback program and reduced the number of guns in circulation in their country, you know what? then Australian kids much. stopped taking their parents' guns and shooting people. They had a whole series of mass shootings that culminated in 1996 in Port Arthur, Tasmania, with a slaughter of, as I recall, 36 people. And and they they not only made it very very difficult to own and buy guns in Australia, although it's still entirely possible if you're really committed to it, you want to jump through the hoops and pay the pay the fee. No problem. But they did this huge gun buyback program, bought back what in, in if you were to scale it to the United States, with the equivalent, equivalent of millions and millions of guns. And there's only been one mass shooting since 1996, and that was just a few months ago. So yeah, guns are the problem. They're very much the problem. Thanks so much for being with us today. We'll be back tomorrow. And in the meantime, don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. You've got to get involved. You know, even if it's just voting, get involved. Get out there, get active tag. You're it. We'll see you tomorrow.